Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Speak on uh, during this month when we're talking about kingdom finances and an open heaven, because I feel like uh, I feel like a few years ago I pretty much knew everything there was to know on this topic, and then very recently I uh, have come to realize that I, I think I'm just beginning to learn what it means to operate with a kingdom mentality and operate under an open heaven. So. Um, So this is not me, the master, teaching you, the student. This is us learning together, and this is me sharing with you what I've been learning. You know, I've never really liked it when when people say when bad things are happening that that it'll get better with time, Uh, because it rarely does, actually. Bad things rarely get better with time. I think uh, all wounds can be healed but time does not certainly heal all wounds. And uh, there is a healer, but it certainly is not time. One only has to visit uh, an old folks home or something like that. If time healed all wounds, uh, uh, old folks homes should be the most happy places of all, but uh, often they're some of the, the saddest places of, um, of evidence where time has, has made wounds worse in many cases and where healing hasn't happened. So part of my message this morning is to describe uh, a bit of a natural phenomenon in our natural world, and that is that if things aren't going so well for you right now, uh, chances are, if left to themselves, they're probably gonna get worse. And if you see things going good for other people, chances are they might, uh, they're probably gonna get better. And I hope this message becomes more inspirational soon. (laughs) But, and you may say that's not even in the Bible, that's just a common cynical saying we use, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Um, You know, common phrases are common for a reason because it's something we all notice regardless of how spiritually aware we are. Like, what comes around goes around. The the, the principle of sowing and reaping, which is a, a real principle in this world, um, it's true, and people will recognize it. Even people that know nothing about uh, an open heaven, that know nothing about God, will tend to agree with you that what, go- what comes around goes around. And so is it that people will likely agree with you that the rich tend to get richer and the poor tend to get poorer, or the successful tend to get more successful, and the non-successful will tend to get less successful. And it is actually rooted in Scripture. It's sprinkled throughout Proverbs, uh, somewhat, and Jesus on five occasions in the gospel makes reference in different contexts. Uh, he'll say, um, uh, for example, in the parable of the talents, that to he who has much, he will be given more, and to he who has little, even what he has will be taken away from him. And in five other places, uh, does he say a similar thing? And there's, each of those are in uh, different stories, uh, within which there's lots to be learned about stewardship and and that's not the main message. And, but Jesus is not even saying that that's a good thing, that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, but it's, it's really just stating the way things are. It's a, it's a, uh, 
It's not good or bad. It's just it's the way things are going to happen. It's, it's just like sowing and reaping. It's, it's, if left to its own devices, it's going to go that way. And there's a lot in Scripture that talks to us about how the poor should relate to the rich and how the rich should relate to the poor and how we should help those in need. And those are, that's talking about morals and good and bad and how we should orient ourselves. But the fact that the rich are likely to get richer and the poor are likely to get poorer and that if things are going well, they're likely to get better and if things are going bad, they're likely to get worse. That's just a fact. And we see this principle at work all throughout creation, all throughout nature. Um, the simplest, let's, the game of Monopoly, if you've ever played Monopoly. Uh, it's, you may say, John, uh, Monopoly is not a very good proxy for life, but it actually, it actually is somewhat in that there's a set of rules and everyone starts out perfectly equal. So it's, it's sort of almost a better example than life because nobody really starts out equal in life, right? You're born into wealth or you're born into poverty and you have some of those built-in advantages. But in Monopoly, you start even, fresh across the board. And by, by some chance, somebody lands on a couple good squares and gets a little bit of an advantage. And that's naturally going to turn them towards using that advantage to uh, create more advantage for themselves. So they have some, and now they're able to get more, and that advantage turns into more advantage. And, you know, early in the game, it's pretty easy, you know, it can go either way. Monopoly still, somebody has a little advantage, a little disadvantage, a little bit of luck can turn it. But you pretty much know, once you're three quarters of the way through the game, you know who the winner is going to be because it's the, mom the momentum is going in that direction. And that same momentum happened for the people on the other side. There was a, they hit a few unlucky squares and they were at a slight disadvantage. And that made it harder for them to gain the next advantage. And they turned towards their disadvantage, and next thing you know, they're, they're down to zero and they've lost the game. We see this in nature. This is baked right into nature. We see it in um, uh, uh, chimpanzee tribes, that no matter how, how equal they may be, one is going to start getting an advantage, and, the, and it's, gonna, it's going to spread out into this hierarchy that, that doesn't need to exist but will, because that's the way our, our fallen world works. We see this in Arctic wolf packs, where you'll get a, a, you'll get a pack that seems to be doing well, and that attracts all sorts of success around them, and they have the ability to literally starve out other wolf packs because of this, this precept of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. We see it, not to, not to beat the analogy to death, we see it in nations. You know, one of the worst... Uh, one of the worst excuses for racial, the racial superiority argument is people will say, well, so much of our today's scientific advancements came out of European origins. And while that may be true, it's likely if we traced it back, there, uh, it's likely that there was, happened to be a group of ancient Europeans that by some stroke of luck were in an environment where they didn't have to spend so much time staying alive and working on shelter and food that they could spend a bit of time thinking about the sciences and thinking about the arts, and that gave them a little bit of an advantage that then uh, they were able to turn towards, and, and, uh, and it built upon each other until, next thing you know, all these advancements happened to come out of Europe, ancient Europe. It could have just as easily happened in any other culture, but because of a matter of happenstance, uh, because of a couple lucky squares in the Monopoly board, it turns one direction or the other. We can see this 
in principle, how this can happen in our own lives. And it's a little scary to think about it, really, to be honest with you. You can imagine that you have an ordinary life and you have an ordinary job earning an ordinary salary. And on Monday morning, you have to present an ordinary presentation. And for whatever reason, you had an extra cup of coffee that morning, you're just feeling great. You knock that presentation out of the park and you have some success and you can turn towards that success. And you know, a few weeks later, there's a promotion coming up and it was between you and someone else and your manager remembers that, hey, you knocked it out of the park uh, and you get that promotion. And you turn towards that and the next promotion happens. And next thing you know, uh, one advantage after another is propelling you in a direction where now you're Elon Musk and you're launching Teslas into outer space or whatever, <laughs> whatever you do for fun at that level. It's not hard to imagine the opposite happening in your life, too, that at that same presentation, uh, you have a bad day, you're sick that morning, you didn't sleep very well, and for whatever reason, you really just dropped the ball. And you leave there, you turn towards that failure, and, and you're, uh, you're feeling pretty bad about yourself, and that promotion comes up, and you get passed up for it, and you feel a little worse, and you, know, you can follow it right down the rabbit hole of, you're performing less at work because you're, you're focused on this failure and uh, you lose your job and now uh, you, know, you realize maybe alcohol makes you feel a little bit better. Next thing you know, you're an alcoholic. Next thing you know, your marriage is falling apart. And next thing you know, you're down in the pit. And these are extreme examples, but I think we could all think of examples in our lives where certain circumstances happen to us that if we turn to them and we follow them like nature wants us to do, we're going to follow it down one road or another. And so I began meditating on the life of Joseph. The story of Joseph is, uh, it's amazing. And we're going to literally just skim the surface, like, like just barely touch the story of Joseph because there's so much to be learned in there. But Joseph is a perfect example of what's different about us as the created beings of God compared to the rest of nature like the uh, chimpanzees or the Arctic wolf packs that have no option but to turn towards their success or their failure. Joseph, the story of Joseph shows us that we have access to the supernatural. We have access to an open heaven that the rest of creation does not have access to and does not make us subject to these same laws. Do you want, the, the law of sowing and reaping, what you reap, so will you sow, it works. But thank God, Jesus transcended the law of sowing and reaping and broke that in our lives for our sin because I do not want to, I do not want to sow what my, I do not want to reap what my sin has sowed. And so is it with these other natural laws that we can reach into the supernatural and transcend these patterns of nature to create a, uh, a new godly reality for ourselves. And I actually, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I hate the term I hate the term supernatural because in English, especially in English, it implies that there's this natural world of the things that we can touch and see and feel and smell that's a reality. And then over here, there's this, there's this different uh, spooky supernatural reality. And we throw all kinds of things in there with the supernatural. We, we, we put... In our minds, we put God in there. We put God and the angels and the spirit world. We put all kinds of superstitions in there, all kinds of things we don't understand. We even do it like with tithing, right? We, 
we, uh, rather than trying to understand what is happening uh, with tithing, we, we know that the Bible says for us to give our tithes to the storehouse and that God will bless us. So we, we throw our tithe off into the supernatural and we hope that God's going to do something spooky with it and, and it's going to you know, come back to us in the form of blessing. I found it much more helpful, and this is, and, and, and so now we're, we're going to get into metaphysics a little in my theology, which maybe will make sure I don't get invited back, but <laughs> the, I found it more helpful, instead of thinking of the natural and the supernatural, to think of, like, what is more natural than God? Like, God, if you're going to talk natural, you can't get more natural than God. He who was and is and is to come, he's more natural than time itself. Um, I found it much more helpful to, to understand that there is a reality out there, there is a truth where God and everything and, and spirituality and those that have, <laughs> those that have gone uh, ahead of us outside of the constraints of our body, they exist in a reality. And what we exist in really is the subnatural. We, we exist in a little subset of what the whole actual big reality is. It's not, it's not really something separate. It's something inside. Does that make sense? And that really helped me understand the idea of an open heaven because it's not us trying to reach out from this reality into some completely different reality that, that is either open or closed to us. It's us trying to, to understand, like a child tries to understand his own world more and more and, and his world becomes bigger and bigger, so, so it is with us living under an open heaven to understand that, that the spirit world is all around us, reality is all around us, and we only see a certain part of it. And Joseph had this mastered because if, if anyone should have been subject to the rules of the rich get rich and the poor get poor, Joseph should have been. But his story starts quite unique in that he starts with a dream. God gives him a dream, he gives him two dreams actually, that tell Joseph who God thinks he is and, and give, it gives him a vision for his life. And this vision is not inside the world. It's a, it's a, it's a heavenly vision. It's something anchored outside of our subnatural, our subnatural world. And so, the story of Joseph in a nutshell is he was the most favored son of Jacob, so things were going pretty well for him. His, his brothers didn't like that very much, so they sold him into slavery. Apparently, back then, you could just sell your siblings. Uh, I, I wondered about that as I was going through. Uh, but they, they told his father that he was dead, and they sold him. Uh, and uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph was all of a sudden way over here. And it, you could have, he was in shackles on his way to Egypt, and you could have seen any of us would have had good excuse to just face, our, uh, face all the negativity that's happening, face our failure, and say, well, that's it. This, this dream that God gave me is obviously nonsense, because look where I am. Look where I am. What, is the, what is the precedent for anything good coming from a slave in shackles on his way to Egypt? But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph, scripture says God was with Joseph. And I pondered on that, uh, that sentence for a while because, because who is God not with? We want to use that phrase, God was with Joseph, as to mean God did something spooky with Joseph and made sure he got 
promoted and good things happened. But God was with Joseph, just like he's with you and I, but the difference is Joseph remembered that God was with him, and rather than facing his negative circumstances, he had his eyes not even on success, but on God's vision of who he was. He remembered the dream. And so scripture is short on details of how this happened, but he became, over the course of, uh, of some time, leader in uh, Potiphar's household. So Potiphar bought him as a slave. Potiphar was a high Egyptian official. And through one way or another, I'm sure by one, taking, taking oppor- taking, availing himself of one opportunity after another, Joseph made himself, got himself to the position where he was trusted with all of Potiphar's household. So a Hebrew slave literally running the affairs of an Egyptian master. So much so that it says Potiphar didn't even concern himself with anything about his, of his household other than what he ate. Everything, Joseph was in charge of everything. So you would think, you would think Joseph would be pretty satisfied with that. Although it wasn't exactly and I challenge you to read the story of Joseph yourself, it wasn't exactly the fulfillment of the dream that God had given him yet. And so something happened. Potiphar's wife uh, happened to be enamored with Joseph and had asked him to sleep with her, and he refused. And she accused him of rape uh, falsely, and Potiphar sent Joseph to prison. And so now Joseph is back here again. And you would think if there was any time... Now, after being his father's favorite son, that fell apart. Now he was sold to slavery in Egypt, but he you know, made something out of nothing, and that fell apart. You'd think now would be the time, like Job said, or like Job's friends said, to curse God and die, because what, what left could there be? But Joseph was a much more spiritually disciplined person than I am. He still didn't face into his circumstances. He still kept his eye on God's dream for him so that even when he was in prison, he set out to be the best prisoner he could be. And, and uh, every chance he got to take a step towards his destiny that he understood, he did that. And it took him years. And the story of him being in prison is fascinating. And he, he, um, he used the gifts that God gave him of interpreting dreams. Uh, and you wonder, where did, it, where did his hope come from when he was in such... Uh, such a horrible place, but his hope came from the Lord, and it came from the vision and the dream that God had given him. And over the course of years, uh, and again, this story is a fascinating one, full of lessons on patience and, and, uh, and obedience, he ends up standing before Pharaoh, asked to interpret one of Pharaoh's dreams, and he uses the gift that the Lord had given him to interpret Pharaoh's dream and Pharaoh is so impressed. And again, we hear the Lord is with Joseph. And again, Joseph was obviously with the Lord. And suddenly, Joseph is in second in command in Egypt, second in command only to Pharaoh. And if you understand what that means, is that he would, it's hard to say how many years went by, but if Potiphar was still around, he would be Potiphar's boss now. Uh, his former owner would now be under his command Uh, now that he's second in command in Egypt. And then we see his dream comes fulfilled. He's reunited with his family, and there's amazing stories there about stewardship and forgiveness. But the meaning that we're skimming out of this story this morning is that Joseph had a dream, and no matter what the circumstances of life, some of them horrible, uh, he didn't 
turn away from that dream. He lived under an open heaven of understanding something that's beyond the subnatural and seeing that as the goal for his life. For us who are made in the image of God, it has less to do with the way we are moving and more to do with the way we are facing. If we're facing God's vision for our life, we're not subject to the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. I'm going to share with you a little bit about our story because I relate to Joseph a little bit on a much less extreme basis. Obviously, Joseph is this big archetypal story that's, that's so amazing and true that, that uh, my story's not quite that big. But especially around finances, you know, what's funny, we got married, we had very traditional wedding vows for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. Uh, I don't think any of us realized how good of a workout we'd give that richer or poorer uh, part of our wedding vows uh, because we've been poorer, we've been richer, and poorer and richer uh, more times than average, I would say. Uh, And God had given me a vision for my life. He'd given me a dream. And... uh, and, you know, it was one of those ones that was pretty real, almost like Joseph's, and, and very, had been confirmed by people around me that I trusted, and, and you know, we'd had a business, and it, it was going well, and then circumstances happened, and the economy uh, went not so well, and all of a sudden, I found myself in my late 30s, I was, uh, you know, I was way over here on the poor getting poorer side of the equation, and I was shoveling snow to try to you know, make enough money to make sure our mortgage got covered. And, and you know, I, I experienced those tide winds of the poor getting poorer because when things were going well, there was, people wanted to meet with me and there was opportunity and opportunities led to more opportunities. And then when you start going in this direction, those opportunities start evaporating and, and you know, there's, there's friends that stay with you, but there's others that don't. And, um, uh, and people you find yourself a little alone shoveling snow at the back of a library at 2 a.m. And the temptation was there, man, I'll tell you, to curse God and die <laughs> it, it, uh, and to face into my circumstances. There was a discipline that we started early in our marriage, the discipline of tithing, which I found very handy in this process because we had committed that we were, early in our marriage, we committed that we were always going to give 10% of our gross income before taxes to whatever church we were, uh, we were in at the time um, as, a, as a tithe, as a discipline. Because we, re- we really believed in you know, Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We really believed that. And we experienced it. But when I was over here shoveling snow, trying to make my mortgage with no opportunities in sight, it was, it was our commitment to tithe, actually, that forced me to keep glancing back at the dream God had for me. Because in my, and it's not this way for everyone, but for us, this was such a key thing that it, the moment I decided we weren't going to do that anymore would have been the moment I turned towards my circumstance and abandoned uh, that dream that God had spoken over my life. And I'll tell you, I almost didn't pass that test. It came, it came close. In fact, we had, I had had plans to move my family somewhere where I could, you know, so we had talked about moving up north and I'd get a job where I can disappear into obscurity and 
until the end of my days. But the fact that we were tithing kept making me glance back, and every time I got a check and we were going to give 10%, I had to decide, do I still believe this or don't I? And I was fortunately still glancing back enough that, like about eight years ago, a little opportunity. I, I know, you know, when we're going in this direction, opportunities are not as supernatural as you think they are. They're not as spooky as you think they are. They're all around us. But when we're going in this direction, and if we're not looking back, there's a wave of missed opportunities behind us that we're not seeing. And that's not just true in finances, that's true in our relationships, and that's true in, in our life in general. Unfortunately, I glanced back and there was a little, I noticed this opportunity and I stepped into it and that opportunity led to a bit more opportunity and those opportunities gave me an advantage that created those tidewinds in the other direction. And the fact that I was able to, like Joseph, keep, keep my eyes on something outside of this subnatural realm is the only reason I noticed those opportunities. There's a reason that God says without vision the people perish. And the reason is because it's true. Without vision, you will turn yourself into your circumstances and you will follow the same laws of nature that the chimpanzees and the Arctic wolves have to follow where if you're rich, you're going to get richer and if you're poor, you're likely going to get poorer. So... My, my hope for this congregation is that each one of you would have a vision, would have a dream from God that helps you transcend your circumstances and that gives you understanding beyond what you have. If you are, it's unlikely that you're in some sort of static position right now. Sometimes that happens. Uh, life's been going kind of mid-range for a while, but all it's going to take is a nudge to the left or a nudge to the right, and those rules are going to start kicking in. So if you're being nudged, if you're heading towards success right now, whether it's financially or in any area of your life, and you don't have a vision from God for your life, I mean, I think things are still going to go well for you. We see, we see that, we see successful people in the world, successful people, people that appear successful in the world all the time that are you know, doing well for themselves, and their wealth is snowballing. But when things were going well for Joseph, he, if he didn't have that dream for his life, I think, I think Joseph could have slept with Potiphar's wife. And I think Potiphar, he didn't sound like he really knew what was going on. And I think, you know, Joseph could have had a pretty good life. He could have probably gotten away with it. But he would have, he would have been in charge of Potiphar's household. He would have dealt in, in wealth for the rest of his life. But the fact that he held to that dream that God had, and he knew this was not it. That's what sent him back to prison for years, but that's also the same thing that caused him to be second only in command to Pharaoh and, and elevated him far beyond anywhere he would have gotten in Potiphar's household and ultimately fulfilled God's vision for his life. So if things are going well for you, you still need that vision because uh, you're still missing out on God's best for your life. Don't be, there's, there's, there's nothing more shallow than success that isn't from God, that isn't it. Uh, in fact, scripture is all about how that success will destroy you. But nudges towards failure are far more likely than nudges towards success. And so if you have areas 
in your life that uh, are nudging you in the other direction that I really want you to consider if you understand God's vision for your life. Maybe, maybe you, had, you had an understanding of what God spoke over your life, of who God believes you are, and you've turned away from that and abandoned it. Or maybe you've never received that from the Lord. The secret to getting through this life, really, is to understand that. If you've got a knowledge of who God thinks you are, there's no circumstance that is going to destroy you. I think it occurred to me in light of the tragedy this weekend as I was driving here that, that I, I cry out to God a lot. And I think that's been a blessing in my life. You know, I think often we're afraid, we're afraid of hurting God's feelings or something, sometimes. Does anybody feel that way? Have you ever said, the first, I've prayed this many times, but the first time I ever prayed, you know, God, do you even exist? Like, are you even real? Do you, and if you are, do you care about me? And then I let that sit for a while, and I was like, well, and if, and if you are real, and if you do exist, and if you do care about me, then how do you explain what's going on here? How do you explain, like, why have you not rescued me? And, man, the first time I prayed that, I felt, I felt, uh, uh, I felt like I was sinning. And maybe I was. But lying to God doesn't usually work out. So if you're, if you're, if you're wondering those things, God wants to hear them. You know, there's a reason he says in Jeremiah, for I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You know, and this isn't the kind of listening. I hope you know that God doesn't listen to us the way, you know, have you ever t- had a conversation with your dad when you were little, and you're talking about some kind of nonsense, and, and he's going, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. And, and not really paying attention. That's not the kind of listening God's talking about here. Come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. God will meet you face to face, and he will hear you. And then he says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So if you're, if you're feeling aimless, or if you're feeling shaken by circumstances, and you don't have God's vision for your life that you can anchor to, then God wants that for you today and he wants that for you soon. And it's okay. You know, we're going to have a real, we're going to have a real uh, a free flow altar call uh, here shortly because A, if you're new, if you're not a Christian and you're here and you're wondering what on earth is going on today, uh, you know, these, these, these people had a friend of theirs die yesterday and we're singing songs of hope. Uh, you're, you're witnessing faith community in action here. And if you want to be part of that, you're going to come forward and talk to the prayer team and, and we're going to introduce you to Jesus. If you've, if you've had a vision for your life from God that you've abandoned and you've lost hope because of that, uh, I'm going to want you to come forward and the team's going to pray for you that that would be restored. And we're going to pray for you that you would turn your face, that you would turn your eyes 
toward Jesus, away from your circumstances, toward the cross, toward God's vision for your life. And if you've never received that vision of God for your life, we're going to pray for dreams for you. We're going to pray for vision for your life because that's going to give you that anchor point that I'm describing. Is there anyone here that feels like they don't have that anchor point, that you feel like you're being blown around by your circumstances, that every tragedy is knocking you off your foundation and sending you down the road to, down the road to, to poverty, whether it's financial poverty or whether it's spiritual poverty or emotional poverty or relational poverty? Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. But you know, there's a peace that passes understanding. And that peace comes from knowing that you know that you know who God thinks you are. And so there's a few things I can speak over you about who God thinks you are because I know him. And I know what he thinks about me. And I know he thinks that way about all of you. Your father loves you. And he is and he's proud of you, and he believes in you. And if you receive no other details of a dream other than that, you can receive that from me right now on behalf of God. That is, this is one area where I'm confident to say I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord. He loves you. He believes in you. even if you feel nobody else believes in you. That's really, that's really all I have to say today. <laughs> um, don't let yourself get blown around by circumstance. If you feel that's happening to you this morning, you come up here and we're gonna pray for you. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to prepare the hearts of your people. Lord, that you bless us with understanding where we can understand, and that you bless us with peace that passes understanding, and that you bless every person here with a vision of who they are in you. God wants you to know who he thinks you are. He wants to tell you a little bit about yourself. So I'd invite the uh, prayer team to come forward. And, uh, and if this has resonated with you at all, or if you need prayer, if, you are, if you've got this mastered, but you're just in despair today because of what our community is going through, you're welcome to come forward and let us minister to you up here and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. This, this altar is for sinners, and this altar... There's been a lot of tears shed on this carpet over the years. And now more than ever, we need to come shed those tears together as a community. So come, you're welcome. Come. For those that want to come and be ministered to, or even to just come and kneel here at the altar and, and, and marinate in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're still welcome to come. For everyone else, we thank you so much for sharing this time with us this morning. 
be released. Have a wonderful weekend. And dream dreams. As you go to bed tonight, ask the Lord for his dream over your life. And as you sit in prayer next week, ask for his dream over your life. And go in peace.